Welcome to episode four of Conversations from Here with me, Dana Ziegler. Today I talk with one of the most dynamically creative people I know, Ireland's own fearless and fabulous Emma Pine. She is a writer, performer, and searing social critic with a background in fashion and a keen sense of justice. We discuss many topics, among her beginnings in small town County Clare, the musicality of regional accents, growing up reluctantly Catholic, finding her tribe in London, living in America, her upcoming one-woman show, working with the legendary Ed Asner, the diabolical nature of tabloid journalism, and being a champion against fear and sexual repression. Also, please note, if salty language is not for you, be warned that there is a shit ton of it in this episode. Also, I have a couple of corrections. We mentioned Sofia Vergara. She is from Colombia, not from Mexico, nor from Venezuela. Also, the wonderful London-born Idris Elba is not of Nigerian parentage. His dad is from Sierra Leone, and his mom is from Ghana. Just wanted to clarify those two points. Enjoy. Here's me and Emma. We're pressing record here. And we've been just talking, we've been having so much fun already. Hello, Emma Pine, my Hello. friend. So Hello. good to see you. And, and we were just talking about, um, <laughs> we were just talking about Ireland and the beauty of it. And where you're from, and I know you're from Ennis, County Clare, yeah, well in the West. Yes. You spent your, did you spend your entire childhood in Ennis? Or well, actually, I was born in Belfast. My mother's from the North, my dad's from the South. Um, but we, the Troubles, uh, that's, yep. everybody knows what the Troubles are. I think that's kind of a fairly uh, generic term everyone seems to know for the conflict in Northern Ireland. Uh, it started quite bad in 1972, uh, Bloody Sunday. Uh, you probably know about that for anyone that's listened that doesn't. It was, it was uh, when in January 1972, when British troops opened fire on unarmed civil rights protesters, all Catholic, killing 14, injuring 14 more. So um, that was what kicked it off. Uh, and that was when, you know, there was sort of an uprising of the IRA in Northern Ireland. And my dad decided in 1973 that it wasn't really... Um, the best place to raise kids. So we moved down south in 1973. I was a year old and my sister was two. Um, my dad was a civil engineer, so he went to Northern Ireland because at the time in the early 70s, Northern Ireland obviously is part of the UK. So that uh, there was more money for, he was a civil engineer, more money for roads and buildings and that kind of thing. So there was more work in Northern Ireland. So that's what he was doing up there. My mother was at Queen's University in Belfast and that's how, that's how they met. So, uh, and anyway, we moved down south in 73. And so that's where uh, my dad's family were from Ennison County, Clare. So uh, that's where I was raised. And this is why I talk like this and not like this. They're who, like a northern person like that, with that Belfast accent. They yeah, sound don't... like they're ready to fight, you know, and they're from Belfast. <laughs> you don't sound like Liam Neeson, who's from Belfast. Oh, although his is very soft now, isn't it? He's, is he from, I don't know, is he from Belfast or Derry? I'm not sure where he's uh, from. Bellamina is the town. Bellamina. Bellamina. Oh, that's, that's County Down, I think. County Down or County Derry. I don't know. Look at me. I don't know. I don't know my Irish geography. <laughs> I'm ashamed of myself. But it's, I remember, and, and, and I spent a little bit of time in Ireland in 93, and I remember, so I was in Dublin, 
and then I went across to um, to Limerick. That oh, was Limerick! I was in college in Limerick in '93. Jesus! Oh, my imagine! Goodness. No, I, I was in college. I graduated in '94, so I was in college. Stab City, they used to call Limerick. Did you did you have uh, did you come did you have find any violence in Limerick? I did gangs. No one tried to stab me in Limerick. They're actually really Stab City. Yes, very bad. It was very bad in the '90s, '80s, and but, '90s. Yeah. But it was so interesting because you know how the the Dublin accent is very soft and it sounds like yeah. cigarettes. Yeah. And then you go west, and it's lots of R's. It's yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? I love accents. I just love them. But in a country like Ireland that's so old, you know, five miles down the road, you'll have a different accent to somebody that's, that's where, you know, it's, it's just, it's crazy. Because, you know, 100 years ago, people didn't go very far. They stayed in their own village. That's and it. five miles down the road was as much as anyone would have traveled in a lifetime. So, you know, nobody was really interacting with people from other villages so you know each different village if you like had its own accent yeah and so you know five or six or ten miles down the road somebody talked completely differently it's it's so strange i i have a, i had a friend um in san francisco she was from county cork yeah yeah well that's yeah. a really up and down accent now from cork from cork city it goes up and down that's the southernmost tip of ireland so it is yeah yeah, no, mine is Claire mostly, so it's kind of flat. But it really depends on, on who I'm talking to because my accent has actually got stronger since I've been in, in uh, America. It's the strangest thing. I've actually got more Irish since I've been here because wow. I've been out of Ireland longer than I've been in, been in it, but I sound more Irish than ever. And I lived in London for 16 years before I moved here and I worked in broadcast journalism. So I, I kind of had a very, you know, I was well-spoken. I, I had the accent of a West Brit, is what, that's what they call them. And I, I, you know, I sounded quite well-spoken. And then I came out here and I find that whenever I talk about Ireland, oh, you're from Ireland, I go, yeah, I am. And I become more Irish when I start talking about Ireland. So maybe that's what it is as well. And when Daniel, when my partner, when, when we go home or if I've been to Ireland and then I come back like for a few, for 24 hours, he's like, Jesus, your accent. Like, you, it's you so accepted, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I find it amazing how in, in Ireland and in also in the UK, um, I have a friend who's from uh, Yorkshire. She's from Bradford. Oh, that's a beautiful accent. And so uh, she actually, uh, Jess Lakin, episode two of Conversations from Here. Um, and, and she was talking about, um, she was telling me how, you know, the, there are so many different dialects, certainly in Yorkshire traditionally. Yeah. So that's yeah. another place where, like you were saying, you go 10 miles down the road and the accent is different. The dialect might even be different. And like the West Yorkshire accent is very mm -hmm. different from the East. Yeah. And then of course in England, you had the class system. So, yeah. you know, your accent immediately spoke volumes about you. You just, the, of your education and your, your social status. Right. Not, not so much in Ireland um, because we were all peasants, quite honestly. Right. But, um, but in England, your accent defines your social class. And so, you know, that was done for a reason too. You know, so when people try to, over the years, people, English people would try to lose their accent to make themselves sound a bit more educated. But I think there's a lot of that is gone now because people, you know, accents, add so much, they, they add so much character to a person. And I, I don't think people are, would be judged 
by their social class anymore. I think that's really a thing of the past, but you know, up until the party. I mean, and even, even the BBC, I mean, they, they started in, you know, kind of more recent decades, um, having people instead of the standard RP, yeah, yes. they the would Queen. have their regional accents. So yeah. Yeah. would have a Mancunian accent, yeah. would have a Glaswegian accent, you know, it's like, so then, then the regions yeah. and the, and the West, the West Country, you know, yeah. the piratey kind of story. You know, yeah. piratey accent, doesn't the, it? The, yeah. the, the Devonish and Cornish accent. Yeah, yeah, you know a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I fell in love with the West Country, just the slight aside, um, fell in love with the West Country. Bristol but, and Bath and, and, and uh, all around all there. To the, but the thing about it that I fell in love with was just like I went there and I had this, you know, we were talking earlier about DNA memories and ancestry and that kind of thing. And I had this feeling of like, oh my God, I feel like I've been here before. And then I found out that I had an ancestor who was, um, he ran a parish church in Dorset. And so he was out in the West Country and the family was in, in the 1600s. Oh, wow. And so I had really? this, You didn't know that. So, I didn't know it. Wow. Until so later. that's in your DNA, like the memories is in your cells. Yeah. So when you turned up there, something, something in your body on a cellular level had been there before. Absolutely. Yeah. That's not just some gobbledygook woo-woo shit. That's the truth. Yes. And, and, but we were talking about accents and how, you know, and, and how you don't have to go very far for them to change. But so then, okay, so to, to go backwards. So, and that's right, I have forgotten that you also spent time in London. Mm-hmm. But when you were still in Ennis, you, were, you started performing when you were a kid, right? Like well, yeah. I mean, I started performing, um, I guess, in school, in, in uh, secondary school, high school, what you would call uh, here mm-hmm. and in secondary school. Yeah. And actually in primary school as well, we would do um, an operetta, they uh-huh. call it, an operetta every single year at Christmas. So I, I, was, I would have been in that too. So yeah, I would have always taken part in, in any of these things that were going on, any school plays or whatever. But I never got the lead part you know, I never got the part that I really wanted. You know, I was never, I was never the prettiest or the best singer or anything like that. So, so usually the, 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 the best singer got, um, got the, you know, the top job. She got the, the lead role and I was never the best singer. I didn't have a lot of confidence. Actually, I, I could sing. Here's a little story. I could sing and, but I was a little bit shy, if you can believe that. I was a bit shy as a, as a child. And when I was about eight, we, We'd a bitch, we'd a cunt actually of a teacher, a cunt. And I still, I still fantasize about this woman. Um, and I still might even go back to the town someday and I might just approach her and say, why were you so mean to me as a child? I'd love to do that. Wouldn't that really take somebody by, a, by surprise? But I remember I was eight years old and we had to do a singing test, which is awful really when you think about it, you know, putting kids up at the front of the room and getting them to sing notes in front of the whole class. It's really nerve wracking at the best of times. But I was eight years old. And she wanted me to sing notes blindly, like she'd go A, oh. B, and you have to sing them out of the top of your head. And it was just really hard. So um, I didn't manage it. And my mother was a singer. She would have known my mother from the golf club because this woman used to play golf as well. And she was just, and she goes, well, your mother would be ashamed of you. This is what she said to me because I couldn't. And, and I remember that and I was mortified absolutely mortified so i think that gave me like a fear of singing in public and singing 
um, for fear of being shamed and for being told that my my uh, mother would have been ashamed of me. And then you know what? You don't. You just bury that as a child. You don't go home and say, "Oh, mom, you know the teacher was really mean to me today," like the way kids would do today. And then you know there'd be some kind of a PT conference and the teacher would get fired or whatever would happen. You know, and this same teacher. She would wrap us on the knuckles with rulers. She wasn't even a nun, but she behaved like a nun. She, when there was plenty of really bad nuns, but she was a particular bitch. Mrs. McInerney was her name. She's listening. Um, but I, I still see her. I mean, she's quite old now. She's probably nearly 80. Mm. I still want, I mean, because you know, you scar children. It, it, what beguiles me now as an adult, when I think about like what we went through, as, and I don't know what your situation was, but what we went through as children in Catholic school, um, you know, the, the, the bullying and, and the abuse that went on, the psychological bullying and the beating with rulers and sticks. But like that adults in their 30s and 40s and 50s could do this to six-year-old and seven and eight-year-old. I just, my head just is blown when I, I still like, I still think about it really. Like it's just, it's just criminal really. And, and, and all the money I've spent in therapy now, you know. <laughs> Well, and you wonder too, you think, wow, you know, for, for a religion that was purportedly, oh. you know, it came out of the teaching of somebody who was all about love and compassion and all that stuff. I think that, you know, the original teachings got, got for, forgot in history. Oh yeah. I mean, Jesus, I, I always say Jesus would be, would be ashamed of the Christians, yeah, wouldn't he? Say, really? Oh, me. You know? He'd be mortified of the Catholics, I mean, yes. in his name. But but honestly, you know, I think, I do think Jesus existed. I think he was a prophet. And I think, you know, what he wanted to teach people really was that people got it all fucked up. His message was, I'm a human, I'm God. Therefore, you are God. God is within, which is exactly what I believe now, even though I don't believe in the Christianity yeah. that they've taken on, you know, and all the bullshit that goes on now but you know I, I do believe that that's in all of us you don't need to be part of a congregation or a church or any kind of religion in fact I, I abhor any kind of organized religion because all it is really is about controlling people and manipulating people all of them every single one of them without exception that's all religions are even when I got here to LA I joined a Buddhist group and then suddenly after a little while I realized I they were trying to impose their set of rules and I'm like excuse me, I'm an ex-Catholic, don't fucking try that shit with me, nobody gets to impose their set of rules. As soon as you start telling me that your way of life is better than my way of life, then I'm fucking kicking, you know? And, 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 that's, and that's kind of how I feel about that whole thing. But Jesus, I think really what he was trying to teach was, you are God, I am God, we are God, God is within us. And I totally believe that, like the universal consciousness, the essence that's in all of us, we've got that god is not without god is not up in the sky god is not you don't have to go to the church god is in here you know your god your universal conscious whatever you want to call it whatever your higher power it's in you you don't need to pray to some deity you know or you know kneel down and confess your sins bullshit all of it within all of us is this divine spark and i think one of the reasons why water. <laughs> Carry on. The uh, why the Romans had to kill him because he was telling poor people and people who were outcasts that they were important, that they were sacred, that they were loved. Yes. And and yes. you just can't have that. 
when you're when you're Romans if you're trying to control it we're like no stop yes, it because stop it's it. control and at that time there was a class system there was a hierarchy you know as there is today lots of places you know and and as soon as you start telling when people don't live in fear that's the first thing when people don't live in fear they realize they have the power to change I mean you look at what's going on in the country right now yeah. the, you know the people the underclass the lower class the working class they're always in the majority in the majority so that's why it's in the government's interest or the, you know, in Ireland, the, you know, the, the church was the head of the people for a long time. In a lot of countries, it's the church, not the government or, or the, the, you know, the religious sector. That's the, you know, for Ireland, it was that. So you need, you know, and all they're trying to do is control the people. And when you keep people in fear, they're easy to control. So then they don't realize that um, they have the power to do something. And also, if you keep people in a state of confusion, and the thing is with fear, there's no clarity. You cannot think straight when you're in fear. You absolutely cannot. You're so then just you, don't, you can't make decisions for yourself. You're just, exactly, you're just reacting, reacting, reacting. So that's how you control people. And you know that's what governments do. That's what organized religions do. And I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, and, and I, I have to say the one positive to come out of, um, of religion is uh, some really great architecture. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of great architecture, like the, the great cathedrals of Europe and all that and the wonder of all that stuff. But I do also recognize that it was for control. And, but, you know, you walk in, I mean, even today you walk in. Oh yeah. Having no connection with, with Christianity or yeah, religion. You don't need to. I mean, the Sistine Chapel, St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Yeah. Just, start, it's such not. a mark of reverence and respect. Yeah. and beauty a thing of beauty and you know it's it took years to build any of them and it, it's just it, it, they are beautiful they are really beautiful churches and yeah they are i'm, I'm reading uh the pillars of the earth right now which oh. is a story it takes place in the 12th century in uh in england actually and it and it, it's the the story it's it's um it's it's historical fiction so the the period details are accurate, but the storyline and the characters are, are fictional just for the sake of, you know, illustration. And it's riveting. And it's so interesting about that, how these cathedrals were built and the dynamic, the two of the main characters, one is uh, the builder, Tom, and the other is the prior, Philip. And so it follows both of these in the, in the construction of this cathedral. And is it true? Was it a true story? No, it's not a true story, but it, but the details of what people wore, oh. ate, how they lived, yeah. how they built these cathedrals, the whole dynamic between, uh, because it was still essentially a feudal yeah. society. This was medieval England. So, oh, so interesting. Yeah, it's so interesting to read books like that that take you back to a time and the, the detail is so accurate. It's been a really good vacation through all this time that we've had, you know, having more time at home. I've been enjoying being in the 12th century, having this little oh, window. But, but what's amazing about Ireland and one of the things that I love so much about it is that there's so much ancientness. You know, you've got, you've got these, these new grange, you've got these, these stone circles and these ancient Neolithic Tunes, mm. uh, uh, civilizations yeah. who mm. were there before, and it's 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 epic, and there are so many of them, and it's just it, I, I find that infinitely fascinating, and the layers of civilization built, mm. built on top of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ever before Christianity came to Ireland, right, right. They were, they were we were pagans. Yeah, which actually is yeah. really yeah. It's a I mean I'd much rather follow paganism right now but i again i wouldn't like i don't need to follow anything but i think a lot of the pagan rituals were very much in line with who we are and what we should be doing and 
you know, giving thanks for the light and the sun. And even the Christmas tree actually is an old pagan tradition. It is the Yule Yule log, Mm. that whole thing. And, 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 uh, and, and also even when, you know, what we call Christmas is actually for the, for the winter solstice, it was a pagan thing. So it was like, okay, we gotta, we gotta fit into the, um, you know, to the pagan calendar here. So this is when we're going to be celebrating Christmas, but really so many things. Oh, Easter also is, is a, a springtime renewal pagan facility yeah. kind of thing. Cause I, I used to ask my mom, I would say, what do bunnies and Easter eggs have to do with Jesus? <laughs> and yeah. say, uh, nothing actually. And she told me that like, well, this, these are kind of like pagan fertility things and but they kind of got mixed in with the whole Christian thing, but it has nothing to do with it. So, so weird. Asking these so questions strange. as a child, Emma. Back Say that again. I was asking these questions as a child when I was six years old and understanding that bunnies and Easter eggs and Jesus had nothing to do with each other. <laughs> no, they don't. And the chiclets, the little chiclets that you get in the oh, eggs. Yeah, the peeps. The peeps, the little uh, yeah. marshmallow, like yeah, like, and all the chocolate. What's the chocolate got to do with this? Nothing to do with uh, the resurrection. Yeah, no, nothing. <laughs> Zero. Oh God, it's so funny. Ridiculous. Then, so then, so then, how old were you when you left um, Ennis? Well, I couldn't wait to get out of Ennis. I mean, I grew up. I was. A, I, I kind of thought of myself as a city girl who grew up in a small town, and I just couldn't wait to get out um, it's it's actually a funny thing and i always say this i i believe you have to leave a place to fully appreciate it and I, I know i probably love ireland more now and i'm such a champion of irish people and irish culture and i i think it's almost easier from afar i mean in that i really do love ireland i'm not bored of it i'll never be bored of it i mean when i go home I follow people around in the supermarket just to hear them talk to their children because i love the accent like i love it and people would be, you know, what the fuck? And I'm like following, because just, I, I, I love the, the way Irish people talk to their children, because I don't, I haven't heard that in years. Yeah. Um, but to answer your question, I left, I went to college in London, my first year in London in 1990, and I got myself into loads of debt the first year. I was depressed and uh, homesick, so I started spending money. <laughs> so uh, I had to come home and go to college in Ireland where there was, uh, it, was it was European funded. I went to art college and the art college at the time was European funded. So um, I did three years back in Ireland and then I went back to London in 94. And I've been out of Ireland really since, since 94. How long, where is that? 26, is that 20? No, right, yeah, 26 years. So yeah. What was it like, I mean, to be, you know, to be an Irish girl going to London. I mean, London is a is a monster. I, I love it, but it's a monster of a place. And certainly well, that- I guess it would have been like any small town girl going to New York mm-hmm. or, you know, the biggest city that you could find that was still speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, cause I studied fashion design, my degree was in fashion design. So I wanted to go to the fashion center of the world. That was quite close. I wanted to go to New York, but London was cheaper Um, and I couldn't speak French so Paris was out so I ended up in London and also a lot of the influences in my in my fashion you know my fashion designing had come from London like you remember the 90s and the the look was very much sort of cyberpunk fetish you know that kind of you know neo goth look 
And so I, the club scene in London was the fetish world and we were wearing latex and, you know, body harnesses and, you know, platform boots and spiky collars. And that was the fashion. And that's what I gravitated towards. I absolutely loved it. And all of the magazines that I was buying when I was in college uh, that influenced my fashion were coming from London. So it seemed like a natural fish that I would end up there and I just kind of immersed myself in the culture and then all of the people that I met like you know what it's like in big cities New York LA everyone's a blow-in so all of your people yeah. are outsiders like you from yeah, a small town yeah well they're and, and everyone kind of has the same desire you you were you were kind of a freak in your town and now you you know you want to be yourself and you want to be seen and heard and accepted for who you are and wear what the fuck you want so that's what london did for me then and you know i loved it i got london in the 90s was the best it was the best i really i really loved it and there's it uh, i have really vivid memories and 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 just kind of the um the vastness of it and how you'd find little pockets you know, little pockets to be in that you kind of got like, you know, when I travel, I like to be in a place for a while so I can just kind of immerse, you know, and become part of the, I think I was staying in Bayswater actually. Oh, so yeah. I could just kind of immerse yeah. and then take the tube everywhere and walk and, yeah. and, and, and have like these like really vivid experiences. I remember walking across the Hungerford Rail Bridge near um, Charing Cross Station over the yeah. Thames and, and seeing a piper dressed in full Highland kit, right? Playing Amazing Grace on that pedestrian bridge. And it was one of those things that this indelible image and sound that I carry with me. I don't have it documented. I don't have video. I don't have a picture of it. We but didn't I, have camera phones back then, did we? <laughs> that's right. I mean, we, we would take in the world and I really feel, I don't know if you agree with this, you, you, you might, about how because we we take for granted that we can record things now that we are less present in the moment. Oh, I totally agree. You know, I, I, we, I think a lot of people, and I try not to do it, but if something goes on, is going on, this is what people are doing. Yeah. Instead of being present with the moment, they're making a video of it. And it's just like, God, you miss, you miss so much yeah. while doing that. Cause you're putting a barrier between you and the moment, like an actual physical barrier, that's the camera. So I think there's going to be a backlash against all of that. It's, I mean, I, ho I certainly hope there is, you know, but also here's the thing. It's like younger people will, oh, they'll, I don't know, will they be less present? Will they get less from their experience than we got? I, I don't, who knows? I mean, maybe they will, maybe they won't. They'll, I mean, they're getting something else, you know, people can code now. We didn't know what that was, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I wonder if, um, if, if today, if I were a young person on that Hungerford Rail Bridge witnessing the Scott with his pipes, I wonder if I, and, and then videoing it, which is probably what I would do if I were a young person today, um, if my memory would be less vivid because it was captured. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you probably don't even know. Now, as a 51-year-old person who had that experience back in 94? Yes, 94 it's so alive in my mind mm. and mm -hmm. you know but london is one of those places where i mean one of the things i loved about it too was the diversity my god i mean there's yeah everywhere it's very diverse multi multicultural city and you know you know it, the british went all over the world and colonized so you know that's what happens you colonize the world and half of these people you know they start traveling and then they come to your country so mm -hmm. 
you know, that's what they ended up with. And, and, and good for them. I'm one of them. I was one of the, the, the immigrant people from one of the colonies uh, as such. But there's a lot of Indian people. You know, there's, a lot, there's lots of Australians in New Zealand. But there's, yeah. it's just there's a huge multicultural. There's a lot of Africans, um, you know, a lot of Ghanaians and Nigerians. There's a lot of people from all over the world, Northern Europeans. Yeah, there's, there's, it's just very, it is very diverse. I mean, up outside of London, it's the same as any, I guess, any country not so diverse not so multicultural even just a few miles outside of london and you will come up against you know racism and the other things we don't we don't like so much but but as a city it's 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 really it's a melting pot of diversity and color and and talent and excitement and oh i love it so how long did you then stay in london 16 years 16 years when did i move over yeah and then you came, did you come to the States? I came straight to LA. Wow. London to LA. That's yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. Well, I started acting and it's, it's funny, really. I started acting and I, I really want to do American TV and film. So uh, I came to LA and then just when I left was when Game of Thrones happened. So everything that I wanted to be in started filming in, in the UK and Ireland, but I was already here. Yeah, and they shot a ton in Northern Ireland. Yeah, 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 they did. And actually, you can visit that. I was saying to Daniel, we ha- we've got to do that. We've got to go to the Game of Thrones castle at some point yeah. in Ireland. There's, it's yeah. funny, there's so much of Ireland that I've not seen. Because if you think about it, I left Ireland when I was 18. Yeah. And I, there's uh, so much of Ireland I haven't seen that I'd, I'd love to even travel around Ireland. Obviously, you can't be sure of the weather. But you're not going to Ireland for the weather, are you? <laughs> well, and I always think of... of um, Irish weather as being as gentle as the accents because like like how it's always drizzling of course it's soft rain that's that's good weather is soft rain soft Soft rain and and I think of like you were talking about being how when you would go back to Ireland and you were reassured by the sounds of you know the moms speaking to their children and I thought about how like traveling around and going being in a shop or a store or something and and I'd hear this, are you all right? And, and I, I was sort of taken aback, like I wasn't like, what, do I look pale or something? Yeah, no, that's, that's, like, that's are you all right? Pain. Can I help you? Yeah, do yeah, you yeah, yeah. But that's I don't right. how sweet and lovely is that? Are you all right? Not, can I help you? You know, yeah. it, it's yeah. much more, um, it's warmer. Yeah, it is, warmer. yeah. Yeah, because it's genuine. I mean, we, we used to laugh, you know, coming here and, Thank you. Enjoy your purchase. Have a nice day. Oh. Nobody means it. They might as well go, fuck you and the horse you rode in on and fuck your mom too. I mean, that's really what they might as well be saying for, you know, for all the sincerity that's in that. Enjoy your purchase. Have a nice day. Yeah. You know, nobody's been genuine. <laughs> but that's not to say that Americans aren't genuine. I'm, I'm here. I'm with an American. I love, uh, I love America. I do. I love, I love where I live. I love the friends I have, you know, it's um, don't agree with all Americans, but you know. <laughs> of course. Well, yeah, we, we Americans don't agree with all Americans, but um, <laughs> most of them probably. But how, um, what was the thing that was the most difficult thing to get used to when you, when you came to LA? Because that is a massive divide. Not only the pond, but also leaping the entire country. It's not like you know, It's really weird because I was 37 when I got here and I thought I'd lived a life and I'd also lived in London, like a very multicultural cosmopolitan city. And then I kind of, 
feel like I was innocent. Like I think about myself, you know, 10 or 11 years ago and I, I'm 48 now. And I was like, I was innocent, really. I was innocent about lots of things. Like, you know, when I arrived here, um, what was, what, what was the most, the, mm, uh, I'm trying to think now and you can edit all these ums and alls out. <laughs> oh, no, that's all right. And no. edit out the thinking time. Or maybe um, even the thing about like, uh, or maybe the thing that kind of surprised you the most about, about the LA scene or culture or American culture in general? I think, um, okay, so what annoys me about America is that there's no real healthcare. Healthcare should not be private. It should not, healthcare should be for all. And I think that's the thing that affects everything. Um, it affects, that. this is why you have to tip because people don't have healthcare. This is why you have to valet your car you have to tip the valet because people don't have healthcare. This is why men think women are gold diggers and it affects how women date because if you're going to have a baby and you know, you need a man that can provide because healthcare is not provided. And, and that's the thing. Like you can't be a single mother in the U S and I, you know, I would have had, I would have liked to have had a baby and I spent, um, you know, a long time looking for the right guy to have a baby with. Had I lived in the UK or Ireland, I could have had my baby and been a single mother and it wouldn't have affected my life too much because we have healthcare. So that, I think it changes everything. I think it, it changes how men behave to women. It changes how women behave to men. It changes every single transaction we have in daily life because we don't have healthcare here. And I think, I think that's the one thing. I still don't have healthcare. I mean, I have whatever is the cheapest form of healthcare. Uh, you know, the basic stuff that, you know, if my leg is hanging off, I'll get fixed, but I don't have any kind of a, a decent healthcare. And I think, I think that's criminal. Healthcare should not be privatized. It should not be. And, you know, after the second world war in the UK, the national health service came in and, you know, one of my friends lived in New York longer than I've lived in the U S and she got breast cancer a couple of years ago. She had to go back to the UK because that was the only chance she had of getting, being taken care of properly. And it shouldn't be so elitist. If you have cancer, how you're treated should not be because you have the best insurance. You know, it, it shouldn't be that some people are left to die because they, they, they can't afford, it just, that drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. That's capitalism though, that, you know, the pharmaceutical companies run the US and everything is about money. It shouldn't be, it should be about people's lives. So. That's the one thing I found and I still find quite difficult. I mean, you know, cause I don't go to the doctor half as much as I need to, you know, I mean, I, I don't get sick. I was saying that earlier, but you know, we, we, you know, it's, it's just, I would, I would, I would really like to see healthcare for everybody. I think that's a basic right, food, shelter, healthcare. Those are basic rights. It's not a privilege. Well, and, and that's what the ACA was about under Obama. And certainly things got better in a certain way. I mean, I, I have health care through Covered California. So thanks to that, that act. And it's subsidized a certain amount because if I don't make enough money. So what do you have to pay? Is it like two or 300 a month? Is that what you have to yeah, pay? something like that. It's, it's, it, but, but it's. It shouldn't yeah. be like that. Oh, I know. In, in Ireland, you can elect to have voluntary health insurance, which my family all have. Um, but if you don't have it, you'll still get, you know, you're still going to get taken care of easily and quickly. Um, but the voluntary health insurance that my family have, I think they pay something like 
1500 to 2000 euros per year yeah. for that. Well, and, and I have a friend who's a, a Dane living in, no, sorry, she's a Swede. Sorry, sorry, Erica. She's a Swede living in Norway. She's in Oslo. And, and she was asking me, and this was years and years ago, this was before the ACA, um, you know, and, and, and she says, um, what do you, what, what do you do if you get sick and you don't have health insurance? What, what do you, what, because there, there's cradle to grave. There's a, there's a, a social oh, amazing. place whereby um, if you are, say, a single mother, you are going to be taken care of, you know, in terms of your, um, your maternity care and all that. So you don't have to worry about it. Um, they pay a little bit more in taxes than we do, but it's not a whole lot more. That's right. It's the same and, in the UK. But yeah. there's still, I mean, there's still a they're first world nations yeah. in Scandinavia. They're, they're very sophisticated though, the Scandinavians. Very, very I mean, they, they really, and then the, the Northern Europeans are very sophisticated. I mean, they were recycling back in the eighties when, you know. Yes, and the Finns, the Finns were the ones who pioneered cell phone technology. Wow, it doesn't surprise me. They also write great pop songs, by the way. Yes, the I know. The Norwegians. <laughs> brilliant, they're brilliant at music. Um, so yeah, they really, and, and actually, and uh, Sweden joined the EU, but Norway never did. They're so self-sufficient and their population is only about the same as Ireland as well. I mean, and they have their own rap scene. Can you believe that there's rappers that rap in Norwegian? Like <laughs> it's such a cool scene and That's it's just for that country in their own language. Like they're very sophisticated. Yeah. They're very, they're very cool. Very progressive. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so interesting, but look, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk negatively about, I mean, I do live here. It's, and I do, as I said, I do, I do love it, but I just, that's, that would be a gripe because it's, yeah, it's, absolutely. it's something that it's not fair. It's just, and, and, and the other thing I say to Americans is if you had, if you, if you were able to live someplace else ever, you'd see it's not great here. Right. Like it's not, well, you're not being treated properly. You're really not, you know? I mean, honestly, I'm here for the weather. If, but if we didn't have, if Ireland had this weather, I'd probably be taking Daniel and going, we're moving back to Ireland. Yeah. Well, and, and also um, Canada is, another, is an example of a country that, that has a very similar system to the NHS. Yes. And, and yes. so um, they're, they're much more progressive. Yeah. And again, they've got, well, they've got a young leader. Their prime minister is young. Yeah. He snowboards yeah. very good looking. But they've, uh, you know, I mean, I do, look, we'll take Joe Biden but he's 78. Yeah. My dad is 76 and he's the sharpest man I know, but I wouldn't put him in charge of a country. You know, I, I wouldn't put anybody in their seventies in charge of a country. You look at Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, 39, you know, where, where, you know, where are the middle-aged people? The people in their forties and fifties should be running countries. That's, you know, or late thirties. Leo Varadkar, the, the gay Taoiseach, the prime minister of Ireland, who, who's just come out of office, you know, he was 43. Um, and I think, you know, you've got your finger on the pulse in your 40s, but you've also, you're young enough to know what's going on. You've also, you're old enough to have lived a life. You're still incredibly sharp. You know, we, should, we just shouldn't have people in their 70s in power. You know, we just shouldn't. Well, um, and, and I think, you know, one of, one of the pluses of Kamala Harris as, as Joe's... I run, love her. She's fantastic. I do hope she becomes, I really do. That would be amazing. Yes, and she is the future of the Democratic Party. I mean, that's part of the reason they brought her on. She's somebody who's, you know, she's young. She has a, a she's a fantastic human. She's got yeah. an incredible track record. She was a prosecutor. She's tough. She can yeah, yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing and she's beautiful. This, you can't say anything against her. You really can't. But, but you know, that's the other thing. 
America is a very racist country. And, and I, I can't say that for probably any other country. I mean, you know, we didn't have to agree with Margaret Thatcher, but we had a female le leader in the 80s in the UK, you know, and, and I, I, America wouldn't have been ready for that. America still isn't ready for a female leader. Now, I hope that by the time Kamala Harris gets to power, they'll be ready for a female leader, but also a woman of color. I really, I pray, mm -hmm. I pray, because that's the only way we'll have change. I mean, if you've got these white men running the show, come on, please, you know? Well, and, and, and I, I think that that's why, you know, um, that's part of the reason that they picked Kamala. Yeah, I'm so glad he picked her. I was really hoping for her. Yeah, but so. um, I think that she's a great role model and there are gonna be girls who are yes. South Asian or yeah. African-American and they look at Kamala and they say, wow. So important. Did you watch that show, Mrs. America? It was- brilliant. I haven't seen it yet. Oh my God. I mean, I, my heart still breaks because they really got so far and that bitch, Phyllis Schlafly, yeah. uh -huh. she, the women's movement has not returned. You know, the Equal Rights Amendment still has not been ratified. And they were so close to it then. And Phyllis Schlafly put the whole movement back 50 years and it still hasn't recovered. Right. And it did such a disservice. And I watched that show and I cried at the end of it because I thought, oh my God, like, we're still not there. I mean, this was in the 70s. Yeah. And I see what all these women, um, Bella, Bella, I can't think of her name. Bella, the Jewish woman, Bella and Gloria. Bella yes. Uh -huh. And they tried so hard. They fought so hard and we're still not there. It just, it, 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 it just baffles me. And, and I honestly, I think, I think America is on its own in that sense. Mm -hmm. it, you know, I was not raised with those values. I was raised with equality and, mm -hmm. and people in the UK and Ireland and most places in Europe we do see equality, um, we, we, you know, women and men are treated, you know, and I don't want to make a complete general blanket statement, but, but generally there is equality and you really, do, you wouldn't get away with the same kind of sexism that happens in America and the same with, you know, people of color. I mean, it's, it's, it just seems that these are, it's not just American problems, but they're more, they're highlighted certainly in America because of just the racism and the chauvinism and the misogynistic people that are, you know, part of the voting populace here. <laughs> and you also had Mary Robinson, right? Your president. Yeah, she was our president. Your yes. president for years. And you know, your look at you. You've done your well, a little bit. Yeah, but I remember. I think you know more than me. <laughs> well, and the thing is that, that that Ireland, which is a you know, as you know, from your experience, a bit patriarchal in many ways, but, but, but also there is, I think there is a very strong sort of matriarchal energy about Ireland. Oh yeah. The yeah. Irish mammy. Ooh. Oh yeah. And mother. Irish mammy. Mammy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, but folks that are still, that, still afraid of their mothers. <laughs> the fact that Ireland elected a, a, a you know, a woman president of the, well, yeah. was that late nineties? When was that? Yeah, she was in for a while now, but the president of Ireland would not have the same office as the president of America, like the Taoiseach or the prime minister yeah. is the leader of the country. I, I don't know. And I'm going to, you know, show my ignorance here, but I don't actually know what the president of America of, of um, I don't know what the president of America does. That's one thing, <laughs> but I don't know what the, uh, I don't know what exactly what duties 
the president of Ireland has to perform or what kind of leadership duties she has. I don't, I, I can't say. I mean, as no, I, I, know, I left Ireland in 94. Like Margaret Thatcher in the UK having, being essentially the government. Um, she went through a lot of shit. I mean, she really did. She was, yeah. she was demeaned as the grocer's daughter because she was mm -hmm. not, she was mm -hmm. not tough. She, she did. was a high class person. She, she was, you know, very middle class. She, she got, you know, just reamed for that. And she had to, I mean, when you look at the Houses of Parliament in, in, in Britain, they yell at each other. Oh my God. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's, and I, cause I, I was a reporter. I would go in there uh, to, in, in, I worked for Sky News in 03 and 04, 2003, 2004. And I would go in there and you see these, a lot of them come from uh, Oxford and Cambridge debating society. Yes. And it's just, it's theatrics to them. They don't even think they're playing with people's lives like half the time. And so it's, it's very funny when you get a Labour MP that stands up because they would be more of the blue collar, you know, the Labour MPs. And they would stand up and they would start fighting against, you know, a, a Conservative MP. And it's going back and forth. And it's 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 theatrics. Like it's, it's just like watching a piece of theatre. It's quite funny. It's actually quite funny. And somebody's arguing for, you know, something in their constituency. And it's, you know, it's it's quite funny. But they are dealing with people's lives and they are trying to, you know, but it is, it's funny. It's funny that, they, you know, they still have it. It's still, I mean, the, the Houses of Parliament and the House of Lords and all that, God knows when it was set up. There's talk of, there was talk of disbanding the House of Lords because it's so archaic. You know, you're, you inherit a seat. Yeah, that's right. You know, it has nothing to do with anybody wanting you to represent a constituency. It's yeah. you know, Lord so-and-so of whatever yeah. gets to have a seat for a certain amount of time. And then it's passed on to his son or whoever else after right. that. And this person probably, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure that some of them are more socially engaged than others. I'm sure that there are some who, who are, uh, but, but many of them probably not so much, yeah. you know, they're in a rarefied environment. I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. the real power is in the house of commons for sure. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And I also think, I, I just think it's not good for people to not earn something of value. Right. I think for all of us, if you get given something too easy, like, you know, the children of stars that end up in, you know, in rehab or whatever. You, bye baby. He's gone for a cycle. Um, and, and that's because all of this privilege was bestowed upon them without ever having to do anything of it. And, and you end up with, I think, low self-worth because you've not earned and, and what gives us our self-esteem and our, and our self-worth is knowing that we were good enough to get something from our own esteem. So, yeah. you know, having something handed to you is never good for a human, whatever class system you come from yeah. or whatever privileged background you come from, you have to know in your soul, in your heart that you're worth something on your own, you know, on, on your own esteem. Oh, you know, I have this big house because daddy bought it for me. I have a porch because daddy bought it for me. That does nobody any good. I mean, people need to know that, you know, I did this, I worked hard, I accomplished something. And I think it's just, it's always a bad system when people get given stuff for nothing. Well, and I think of a well-known bazillionaire Warren Buffett, his grandchildren, uh, he told them that I will pay for your schooling but after that, you're on your own. And yeah. I love that he said that because <clears throat> this encourages their own, their own path. They're not dependent, they're yeah. not defined by the wealth that spawned them. They are 
they're they are there to make their way as individuals. And I think that was very, very wise on his part. Well, it's empowering. And, and that's the thing. Kids need to be empowered. If you empower them, they can do anything like that's really all you need to do and i'm not a parent but you know if you give a child love and confidence and and you know and uh, allow them to do things for themselves empower them to do them then guess what they will they really will you know that's what happens i do think though most of the problems in the world are due to bad parenting i really do or also bad teachers like mrs mcinerney right mrs. mcinerney yeah, yeah, yeah i mean the, the the i think of that shaming of this eight-year-old you and do you think that maybe that incident actually kind of did it kind of kick off some some rage that you thought I'm I'll show you like do you think that maybe did it did it have a um, kind of a well a, I don't think I did show her <laughs> I'm still I mean <laughs> maybe later. I don't know if I did I mean I'm still trying to show people but I you know I I I, I laugh I was born the second child and any of my artist performer actor friends are generally uh, middle and second children because you know uh, your birth order I mean parents parents think they treat their children the same but of course they don't and, and you can't it's impossible because yeah. if you have a child 10 years ago you're not the same person as the person you are today you've grown as a person as a parent you know and you know all these other things so um but i you know first of all i don't think they treat their children differently and the, so the second child you're always you're, you're you're starting off on the wrong foot because you're the second and there's divided attention for you and then you get bullied by the older one or the older ones or whoever many are above you and i just think you you, you spend your time as i did vying for the attention of parents and if there's more than two or three siblings then you don't get the attention that you need i mean i really think it should be illegal to have more than two kids anyway <laughs> Because, you know, there's just not enough parents to go around and somebody loses out. And, um, and, I, and I mean this sort of tongue-in-cheek, but not really. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think I, I grew up wanting to show my parents, wanting to show my family, wanting to show my sister in particular that I was capable of greatness and that I was better than you and just watch me. I'm going to be something and fuck you all. Like that was kind of, I think, what, what led me to do most things in my life. <laughs> trying to prove something, trying to prove something to my family and trying to seek the approval and respect of my parents and my older sister. I think that was really what was my main motivation in the beginning. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, so then, so you came here and were you doing, um, you, you, you'd been doing some acting in London. Yeah, that's why I moved out here and I'd even been doing a bit of stand-up comedy. I started in stand-up comedy in 2007. Mm -hmm. And then I, I kind of quit when I moved out here in 2009 and I sort of wanted to follow the the straight acting thing. Um, and you know, I've done a few films, a few short films, but it's, it's a funny thing. I'm really grateful now where we're at because of, you know, shows like Normal People and Catastrophe and, you know, uh, people like Sharon Horgan, um, um, God, Chris O'Dowd, mm -hmm. um, and you know, the Irish actors like Ruth Nega and Paul Meskel that are coming up now, uh, mm -hmm. who use their Irish accent. And when I got, when I got here, um, you know, 11 years ago, they were like, oh, well, that's all fine, but you need to change your accent. And I'm like, but I don't because I'm a blonde woman in California. My accent is the only thing that sets me apart. Okay. And, and, and they all you know, didn't change his accent. Who didn't? He didn't. No, he didn't. But again, he's a man. You know, it's, it's, 
it's different. It, I mean, it's just, yeah, men always get treated differently. We know that in life. So we're starting with that. But, um, but Sharon Horgan, you know, writing Catastrophe and then, she, you know, she created Divorce for, I mean, she's, you know, one of the best writers of TV right now. And she's Irish and whenever she acts, she acts in her own accent. And I, I think that, you know, accents are part of diversity as well. You know, if you go to any city in America, you're going to find all kinds of different accents. Yes. And really, it, it wasn't until Sofia Vergara, you know, came out, came on with this, this Mexican accent, suddenly, oh, yeah. accents are okay now. But at that point, it was only a Mexican accent. So right. we're only ready for Mexican accents. Isn't and then exactly they, they've that always that liked... They've always liked British accents because, you know, you sound like you're more intelligent in America if you've got a British accent. But up until quite recently, Irish accents were for nuns and nannies and leprechauns. And, you know, if I if I was talking like this, they wouldn't they wouldn't see me as a sophisticated, educated woman. I would be a leprechaun with an accent like this And, and normal people is actually probably the first show that I've seen that's set in Ireland that shows Ireland as it is. They don't make any big thing out of it and they're going to Trinity College, they're at college. The only thing is that it's in Ireland and they have Irish accents. But guess what? We're just like everybody else. We yeah. just have Irish accents. We're not all leprechauns. Right. We're not all nuns and priests. We don't all hit each other over the heads with shillelaghs. And so that, you know, but that was very much the, the brand that America had. That's what they had about Ireland up until really quite recently. So, so well, I'm glad about that. Ronan, right? Saoirse Ronan. As a, Ronan, yes, as hugely talented. She does do a lot of accents. She doesn't she does. often act in her own accent. She That's does do all kinds of accents. She's so talented. I love her. I love her. She's great. But um, yeah, Colin Farrell now, I know he's tried to do a lot of Irish accents, or sorry, a lot of different accents, but he's always best in his own accent. You hear Colin Farrell acting in his own accent. Brilliant. Michael Fassbender, the same. You know, he's tried to do other accents. And again, as we said, it's different for men. But I mean, both of them, phenomenal talents. But again, he's best in his own accent because you kind of are because it's not just an accent. It's like it's a it's a it's a whole other like the energy that's in what you say, how you like the way I'm even talking now. This is probably way too aggressive for an American, but this is how Irish people talk. I'm really animated and passionate because I'm Irish. This is how Irish people talk. But if you, you know, this is not how Americans talk. I'm sitting forward in my seat. My hands are gone. I'm excited. Like I'm just being Irish. That's all. It's not about the accent. It's about everything that comes to get this, this voice out, you know? So, you know, that's why it's, I just think it's not, you know, there's only a reason to change your accent if it, you know, if it's really imperative to the storyline or the character. But I think as long as you can be understood in the language in which you're speaking, right. accents add so much. Why would you want to change a Russian accent, a Mexican accent, an Irish accent, as long as they're, you know, you're, you're able to, to hear them and they can, you know, talk clearly in, in English. You don't need to, as long as you don't need subtitles. Right, exactly. I mean, if you, I, I think, you know, speaking of, um, you know, Irish accents, and of course, Scots accents and, and Welsh accents, my goodness. I mean, where would we, Richard Burton, part of the reason why people loved listening to him was that mellifluous Welsh accent, you know, and we have Michael Sheen now, we have Matthew yeah. Reese, we have uh, Reese Iffins, we've got like yeah, a Reese Iffins accent as well. And, um, and, then, uh, and then the Scots, and we've got people like um, James McAvoy, who's from, who's from, uh, yeah. 
uh, Glasgow. Ewan actually. McGregor, I love his accent. Ewan McGregor, yes. From Edinburgh. Actually, mm-hmm. Leith, he's from. Is he? God. Wow, you were a mine of information. <laughs> it's, I have a lot of useless uh, facts floating around in my brain, and sometimes they connect, and sometimes they make sense. But, um, <laughs> but I, just, I just find it um, really, really fascinating. But, but to be able to, I mean, the thing is that Americans really love accents. They love, they love listening to an Irish person talk. They love I think um, we're, here's the thing. Uh, you know, we are raised in Europe on American TV and film. So it's an accent that's coming into our living rooms from a very early age. Um, And when with Americans, you're not, you occasionally hear British accents and it's like, oh my God, a British accent, they sound so important and intelligent. But you're not you're not used to hearing other accents, right? So I think that's where the the disconnect came because if you're used to hearing an accent, you're it's okay. It's you know it's it's there, but and you're and you're okay with it. It's 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 easy to the ears. But if you're not used to hearing it, you 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 question it, and I think that's what you know. I guess whoever's making these decisions prior to this was doing, and you know thinking that only. Americans, you know, wouldn't be able to understand an accent that wasn't American. But also, you know, I, I, I always think people are more intelligent than people give them credit card. Yes. Credit for. for example, a show that's blown up, Fleabag, we all know about, right? And it's very English-centric in its, in its language. Mm-hmm. I love it. But she doesn't ever come away from her, her own tongue and, and the colloquialisms that she uses and Americans get it, okay? You don't have to explain it to them. Michaela Coel, another brilliant writer who's doing that show, I May Destroy You, you know, and it, it's very London-centric in its language. Oh, beautiful cat. <laughs> but again, you know, you don't have to explain to Americans the, the local colloquialism, they'll just pick it up. So I think the more, more we have that, without there having to be any kind of an explanation, I think the more people, People get it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people. I'm, I'm pretty sure you and I talked about Monty Python before. Yes. Yeah. You know, brilliant. And so many Americans loved Monty Python and they got it, even though the accents were different and, you know, the language was different. You don't have to explain. So, yeah. I grew up on British television and Monty Python was one of the features of our home. And so, um, and I also grew up with a lot of BBC upstairs, downstairs. Remember that? Oh, that was amazing, wasn't it? Like Downton Abbey. So I was, yeah, and yeah, pre-down, really the, the originator of what yeah. Down was to become later. And, um, but I was always doing accents as a kid, you know, I would, I would be, I would be Rose, yes, my lady, you know. Oh, and yeah. Downstairs and it's so funny because the, the downstairs ones would have the, the, they would have the regional accents. Yes. And the upstairs people. And, and in, in those times, everybody in the upper class spoke the same. So even if you were from Ireland, Scotland, England or Wales, the upper class all had the same accent. The regional yeah. accents were sort of peasant accents. Yeah, it was um, always the, the RP or actually yeah, yeah. the heightened RP. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, uh, oh, I know you're so terribly, terribly poor. You know, that kind of arch, it's like an arch dialect and it doesn't in like how the royal family speaks. That is not RP. That's yeah. not standard British English that's actually this this oh this, this affected this affected language yeah I think of I think of in the crown um uh Claire oh, Foy, talked, so Claire Foy who's a Mancunian she's from Manchester right she she had to learn this 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 sort of arch way of speaking to be the queen and she said I found myself 
sitting, looking at the sides going one, 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 you know, because the, that's how this queen says one. She doesn't say one. Yeah. You know? One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so very, weird. It's very up in the nose and back. Mm. So peculiar. So peculiar. We love that show. We do. We call each other Philip and Elizabeth all the time, Dalian. Oh, wow. Philip, Philip, Philip. Oh, and how wonderful is Olivia called? Philip. Philip. Love Philip. Yes, my little cabbage. What do you think of Megan and Harry? Well, I, I think good for them, you know, because yeah. honestly, uh, I think that they are two people who are in the modern, the modern yes. age. Yes. And they are carving their lives and the archaicness that is the monarchy. Yeah. I mean, now, Monarchy has its charms just given that it's a museum piece. And I know that it generates a lot of tourism in the UK, right? And the queen is someone who is, one might look at her as an institution. She's always been there. <laughs> She's sort of been there a long time. Now. Yeah, yeah. Almost, yeah. Um, but they, they need to move with the times, you yeah. know? And I think even Charles also really tried to, to to move beyond i think so i quite like him bless him i do too i think he does his best i, I think he's probably yeah. a very nice man i really do i know somebody who met him and i'll tell you this little story um so so the prince's trust is interest it, interested in um uh addiction recovery programs organic farming that kind of stuff like for social betterment he's kind of tied into that you know and and the thing is is that bless him he doesn't have to do that but he wants to do something that is purposeful and meaningful so one of the things that he did is he came to the bay area san francisco bay area some years ago and um i knew someone who was living in a halfway house at the time and he he and camilla went and visited this halfway house because they had a model program and they were looking at programs to model for those in the uk so uh, so he visited her little apartment and they had had these, it, this was pre-arranged and they had these chairs set up for Camilla and for Charles and, um, and, and she was sitting on her bed. It's a little studio apartment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's in. mental. Oh, it's, it's so very nice to meet you. And, and, and um, he said, may I sit here? You know, meaning next to her on the bed, because, you know, he was just talking to her and she said he was really lovely. He was really, because yeah. she said, I could tell that he was trying to make me comfortable. Yeah, bless you know? him. And also, she said it was kind of funny how he seems sort of a little bit out of touch in certain ways. We're like, oh, yeah, very nice for you. You've got a, a microwave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's, but the, I mean, we go back to this thing when it's bestowed upon you, you know, right. this thing, you know, the House of Lords, that, that wealth, that something that you haven't asked for. And we don't know, but it's very hard to understand. But it must be awful to grow, to grow up with that and, and never really... And be sure of your own accomplishments. And you, you must have, have to do a lot of soul searching to arrive at a point where you're happy and comfortable with yourself when you've grown up with all that pomp and circumstance all around you. And it's just, it must be very difficult just to be a human and, and be within that institution. And, I, and, you know, I feel for them because I'm a fucking empath. <laughs> but, you know, and, but, you know it's, it's, it can't be easy. And I guess... Megan must have had it, it must have been really difficult for her and, and, oh, and yes. Harry. Especially know. as an American, because Americans yes. have this very the sense of self-sufficiency 
and accomplishment and to be told what to do and where to go. Yeah. And yeah. And she really got everything on it. She'd done it. She's made, she's a self-made woman really before she yes. met him, you know, yeah. she had her own career. You know, Harry and Wills um, seem to be good. They seem to be good guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, I think they were raised in, in, in a more modern way. And certainly if their mother had been alive, but I'm sure, you know, they, they were part of her and she's, you know, humanitarian people. I think, I think they seem like very nice boys. Yeah. And I think that very she, nice young men. you know, Diana um, really was a person, um, a very empathetic yeah. Um, yeah. person who was, who was dialed in. And, you know, of course she came from wealth as well, but she seemed to be very genuinely concerned about other people in their yeah. world. Yeah. And, and that was her great gift. And it was also um, part of her liability because she didn't have this, this, the stiff upper lip reserve mm -hmm. business that, you know, the monarch and mm -hmm. that crowd have. Um, but she was, she was the people's princess. There was yeah. no doubt about Well, she was, she was what's known as a commoner. She yes. was, I think, was she the first commoner that any of them married? Well, well, you know, they, up until that point, they were inbred. I mean, as seen on them, you know, with their, their ears and the eyes that are close together. And, the, you know, that's, it's inbreeding. Those are features of people that are inbred. Because, um, I mean, even the queen and, and Philip, or they're related, and Victoria and Albert were first cousins because you had to marry royal. You couldn't dilute the bloodline. So they were marrying each other for a fucking very long time. So the gene pool was really small. Yeah. So they had to start marrying commoners. Otherwise, they would have ended up with retards, quite honestly. Well, and the thing is, is that the, the word commoner is a little misleading because, you know, yes. Lady Diana Spencer, she was an aristocrat. She was I mean, Lady Diana Spencer, yeah, she was, yeah. Not, but not a royal. Yes. So yes. that just means that they, they don't have blue blood. But she definitely added to the gene pool in terms of looks. She did, yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and Kate Middleton, I mean, beautiful. Yeah, they're, they're, they're beautiful children. And I'm sure Archie, this little, I'm not sure he's going to yes. be beautiful as well. That's the thing, you've got to mix it up for, I mean, any, any mixed children, you know, biracial or, or anything, if you mix up anything, you're going to get something better. If you mix wow. chemistry, mix compounds, you're going to end up with something better. <laughs> it's basic and chemistry. The best, I, I would argue that the best looking people, the most beautiful people are mixed race. Yeah, for sure. And oh, also wow. healthier. And the thing that the sad thing about, um, I mean, Megan was treated very badly by the British press. The British press is vicious. They're ugly. Oh my God. All this, this, skepticism about, you know, looking at the baby to see what shade it was. I mean, it was really clear that they were really, really dialed into this, this archaic idea of, 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 um, oh, it's, it's racist is what it is. Oh, yeah. So she yeah. Got it. And she just was not having it. And Harry was not having it either. And he did everything yeah. to protect her and his child. Yeah. And you know, and I, I think he's a, he's a good dad and a good husband. They yeah. got people out and they live in Canada now. Do they live in Canada? Vancouver or somewhere? Uh, yes, they live in Vancouver. Yeah. In British well, Canada. she was shooting, uh, I think, suits shot in Vancouver. So she probably knows it very well. It's a fabulous city. I was only there once. Mm -hmm. But I would, Vancouver's on my list of top places that I'd like to visit quite soon, as soon as we're out of this pandemic. It's a very high quality of life there. Um, mm -hmm. Very beautiful. Um, kind of a mild climate. It rains just as much yeah. as Seattle. It's very kind of similar. Um, and of course, it's Canada, and 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 it has these very quaint royal, the royal phone boxes, the red phone boxes. Oh, they still red. have those. Oh my the god! Post boxes. They still have them. <laughs> so it's like the best of Britain, 
in British Columbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are quite progressive, the Canadians. Yes, they are. Yes. I think people are saying that's where they should have built the wall. The Americans are going to be trying to get into Canada soon. Yeah, that's the joke. The yeah. wall was on the wrong order. Beyond <laughs> the wall, as they say in Game of Thrones, yeah, we're going to try to climb the ice wall to get into Canada. Please let us in, Justin. You know, we may have to do that if, if things don't go well in November. Um, would you, I mean, would you be, can you live somewhere else? Would you be able to live somewhere else? Do you have a visa to, or what, how, what, are you just an American citizen? I'm just an American citizen. I wouldn't be able to. My, my, my mom was raised the first nine years of, not first nine years of life, but for nine years of her childhood, she was in Montreal. Um, so I said, you're practically a Quebecois, you're practically Canadian, you know, but, but, um, but, but no, I mean, I would have to have a work visa, you know. Oh yeah, it's difficult now. I mean, I probably, I can, I have my Irish passport. I'm, I should apply for my uh, US citizenship fairly shortly. In fact, I was going to do it before the COVID thing, but I, I will, I should do it now, maybe quite soon. And then the other thing was, I mean, who knows what's happened with Brexit, but technically I'm also a British citizen because I was born in Belfast. So I could technically get a British passport as well, but I've never needed to because the Irish passport has always been better in a way but once Britain does leave the EU mm. it might be no harm to get a British passport as well no, but I don't know I don't know if you can have three passports because with because with an Irish passport you are part of the EU yes part of the EU you yeah can, you're part of it automatically. yeah and also I, I think um I haven't quite figured it out yet but what 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 the story is going to be on um entry and free entry or whatever they call it to and from Ireland mm. for British and Irish people. I, I don't really know. They still haven't. Can you believe it's still going on? Well, and that whole thing about the uh, what do they call it? Uh, you, you know, because of course, trade between between uh, yes. Ireland and the Republic. Free trade, yeah. The uh, the the which has been seamless, and now if 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 Northern Ireland with Britain, you know, leaves the EU, then what? There's got to be the stop. They call it the Irish stopgap or something like that. Yeah. It has to do with keeping the trade open. So then these poor people who are driving lorries between yeah, yeah. North and South can just get their stuff where they need to take it. You know? It's just ridiculous. I mean, it's just insane, really. It's kind of like, oh yeah, we want to get a divorce. And now actually we don't, we don't really want to get right, divorced. We'll stay together for the kids. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, that's really what it is, isn't it? It's like, Oh, something I wanted to ask you about. Um, so you, the, so there's a film that you did not long ago, Angels on Tap. With yes, it's on Amazon. And is it? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Marion Ross and Jamie Farr, and of course, those three actors are are iconic American actors. I was like, I was the hot young piece of stuff in that movie. Let me tell you. <laughs> And it was, I mean, it must have been, and then it was written by the guy, wasn't it written by one of the guys who wrote for MASH? Yeah, it was. Far was Klinger on, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, no, it was. It's, it's on Amazon, it's not, it's not, it's pretty good. Okay, good. No, I have to see it, I have to see it. But, um, but yeah, Ed Asner, I mean, an icon. He's an amazing actor, and I mean, I think he's probably 80, in his 80s now, but I remember at, you know, in the movie, like, he was, he was acting drunk and he was just getting drunker and his nose was getting redder and his ears and his face were getting redder and, and he was just drinking juice or something. I was, I was like, wow. And, and at that age to still be able to get there, you know, that level of commitment and that level of, oh, wow. I was just like, wow, he's a legend. He really is a legend. Yeah. And, and also such a, such great comedic skill as well. 
I mean, it's just brilliant. And Jesus, to be able to remember your lines at the age of 80, like, come on, you know? There was, do you remember, um, there was a, uh, an animated Pixar film called Up. And yeah. it was, it, he was in that. He was the guy who, uh, sorry, my kitty cat is making pin cushions out of her chair. Um, uh, and, and he's this heartbreaking, beautiful character, this old gentleman who has this house and his wife had passed away. Yeah. And he has to find a way to get, because this house is going to be demolished. And he has to save it. And so he has this idea of putting balloons, like all these balloons on top of the house, attaching. The house will float the, away. I never saw it. Oh, God, I gotta see so it. Simple. But, but, but he is, he is tremendous. Is he the old man? Is he yes. the old man? Oh, it's wow. Moving. Oh, it's, it's one of the ones that, it's a weeper. I mean, it's. Oh my God. I definitely see that. I, I oh, always I have to see that. We have, um, there's yeah it's it's not a democracy where i live <laughs> tv and the tv is controlled by a dictator so <laughs> the remote so um yeah we have to both agree we have to both agree on things to watch and so if he doesn't like to, if he doesn't want to watch it i don't get to watch it uh, you have to convince him of its of its merit. He might be up for that actually, because we're actually we're always looking for good films to watch. We watched a really good one the other night called The Ghostwriter with Ewan McGregor. Yes, yes. yes. Oh my God, that's so good. Brosnan and Ewan McGregor. Pierce it really, it really got me thinking. Without telling people what's it about, it's like I was like, that's probably happening right now, somewhere in the free world, mm -hmm. somewhere in the first world. That's probably happening if not in America or the UK, you know, that's the sort of thing that's probably going on right now. Mm -hmm. It's mind blowing. And also starring one of your famous Irish sons, Pierce Brosnan. Yes. Oh, he's great. Yeah. And, and he, I, I do find it very ironic that he was playing James Bond, <laughs> the, the quintessential Brit, you know, yeah. while. Well, well, Sean Connery was Scottish. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, actually, he, Pierce Brosnan wasn't a bad James Bond. No, he was the worst one was probably Timothy Dalton, who I think only got one, uh, one movie. The Living Daylights? Living Daylights, yeah, wasn't, wasn't that I, Timothy Dalton? I have to say, I think, aside from Sean Connery, because I love Sean Connery, I mean, so, he's so hot. Even at, I still would. Even at eighty-five, I still would. Even even <laughs> though he said once, a woman has no place on the golf course. You know, even though he said that, I will forgive him. It's a generational thing. Yeah, I did that. I have to say that I really love Daniel Craig as James yeah, Bond. Because I do too. He has this menace. He has because yeah. James Bond is a killer. He's an assassin. And, and, you know, an MI6 assassin and he's badass. And, and I always bought, I bought Connery and I bought Daniel Craig because they have, they look like they could kill somebody. But also they, like, it's, you kind of, you know, you don't know whether he's going to kill you or just throw you down and ravage you. You're like, oh, could it be a little bit of both, you know? It's, it's yes. that, that's what yes. you want from your assassin, you know? Yes. He's so sexy. You don't know whether he's going to kill you or fuck you. <laughs> and, and evidently, Daniel Craig is lovely. He's a very lovely Isn't that? It's always nice to know. It's always nice to know when they're lovely, isn't it? He's married to Rachel Weiss. They've been married for... Oh, well, yeah. really? Also, lovely, lovely, wonderful actress. Yeah, she's great. She's so great. Oh, but, wow. 
Yeah, but who else do you have the hearts for? <laughs> oh gosh, let's see. What? Yeah, my celebrity pass. My one that. Uh, Matt, I mean, Brad has mad crushes on Sandra Bullock, and uh, and uh, of course he used to have mad a mad crush on Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton was she in? Uh, was that what Terminator? Was yes, yes, of course, of course. Yes. Um, and actually, those are kind of those other kind of thinking men's crumpers. Yes, Sandra Bullock is not. You know, that's you know. Um, I would, I would think, um, I love Ryan Gosling. I just think he's beautiful. I, I have a thing for Viggo Mortensen. Always have. Oh yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Idris Elba and Viggo Mortensen. Idris Elba. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's lovely. He, he might actually, actually Idris, yeah, Idris Elba. James Bond possibly. Did you see that? Um, did you see the photograph that was taken of him in his suit and he has the biggest you could see it, the outline of it, like down his leg. <laughs> I'm like, oh my they, God, hit yourself back. Yeah. Oh, they, uh, maybe they perfect. just rolled up a yoga mat. Really perfect, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also a lovely man. He's lovely. Oh, I love it when they're lovely and they're that sexy. It's just great, isn't it? And he's got this lovely East End accent, you know. Yeah. And I think, his, I think his parents were originally from Nigeria. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he has this, you know, he's got this lovely East End, you know, yeah. Rose Bells accent, you know, and, um, and, and it's just like, and Luther, did you ever see the show Luther? Um, we started watching Luther and then um, we got, something went wrong with our streaming that we couldn't, the signal was really bad, so we couldn't, we couldn't, we wanted to, but we couldn't, is the answer. Yes, we wanted so. to, but you, you will at some point. Oh, the other thing I want to ask you um, about is, um, so Confessions of a Catholic Nymphomaniac. Yes. Your show that we have tickets for, for whenever yes. it is that it, yes. that it, that it happens. Those tickets are so good. <laughs> whenever it does happen. You, do, is there any word about when it might possibly happen? Well, when we can get back into theaters, really. I mean, I've thought, I've thought about doing, I've thought about doing is it on Zoom. And then I kind of thought I won't because... It was written for a live theater. And I think, look, I just have to park it for now. I mean, I've been doing little rewrites and it'll probably evolve over this period anyway, because had, had it gone up on the 18th of March, like it was supposed to, I would have been doing rewrites anyway. I mean, the plan is to take it to Edinburgh in 2022. That, that's the plan. I've done the Edinburgh Fringe a couple of times before with sketch comedy shows. And I'd love to go back to Edinburgh with my own show in 2022. So I, I, and I think, it's written for a live audience and there's certain moments when I want the audience to interact and you know from being a performer as well it's not just a monologue even if you're up there just talking it's dialogue it's the energy it's 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 a go it's a back and forth yes. and you really need when you're on stage you need the energy of the audience and also for things that are a little bit edgy and confrontational and funny but in a dark way the audience needs to feel like a singular unit to laugh and to react properly. Even with social distancing, if you're making, you know, a dirty joke, people feel singled out if they laugh. And I think that's sometimes when comedy shows don't go well, it's because the audience is too sparse. Yeah. But when they feel like a singular unit, you know, one person laughs and then you laugh and everybody's laughing and they're all laughing as a unit because, you know, there, there's safety in numbers. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I was just talking to my, lovely director Wendy Hammers last week and and you know I, I don't think I want to do this as a zoom I you know I could do it um 
and it would be one way of doing it but i think i want to wait until it goes back in or until we and of course we will get back into theaters it's not that the theaters are not going to close down i mean my wedding has been postponed everything your wedding has been postponed you know we will we'll, we'll, it will it, we will be able to travel again we will be able to get back into theaters again It'll, you know we will be able to go to sports games rock concerts all of those things we'll be able to hug each other again that will happen and you know um I think I'm, I'm just gonna, and your ticket will still be good. You will have a seat at my show. Um, but I think I'm just gonna, you know, I, and I really have thought about that. Um, and I, you know, and, and then there's a bigger message of the show and, you know, really it was hard for me growing up, um, Catholic and becoming sexual as every, everybody does. Everybody yeah. does. All human beings become sexual at some point, but that's sort of very, it's very frowned upon within the culture that I came from. I mean, I say in the show, you know, some people that grew up in a small town had to come out as homosexual. I came out as sexual. Right. It was, it was a, you know, it was kind of like that. It was, you know, being sexual was, and, and, and it's, it's such a strange thing because in, in, you know, you have to be sexual to procreate and yet it's frowned upon. Like it's so, it's just so fucked up, you know, but again, it's, it's, you know, sexual repression is about, it's, it's about manipulation and control. And, you know, I do say this in the show as well. It's just, and it's, it's really about the control of women, any kind of sexual repression. Look at the Muslim culture. It's about the control of women. And that like really makes me rageful. So this is kind of a kickback against that, but also um, a kind of, you know, tracking, my life and and how i ended up the person that i am and and you know with it, how i became the woman that i did um and and you know things i was shamed for and you talk about the british press i mean a pinnacle moment in my life was when a story came out i i spoke openly to a newspaper reporter and then suddenly the it's all in the show but suddenly the irish tabloids got hold of the story and i was front page news in on the irish tabloids and the, the, the headline was, I grew up in a strict Catholic school, but now I like to do it at least twice a day. And I was 24 years old. Can you imagine? I mean, it, it rocked my town. It rocked my family. I mean, it was, I mean, it was just the worst time in my life. You know, it's been slut shamed by a by a tabloid newspaper. You know, in in a Catholic in a small Catholic town. I mean, it was and it was a national newspaper. So you know that kind of thing I think has got to stop. But also uh, slut shaming of women. But also I think um, um, people being afraid of their own sexuality or not being allowed to be sexual, and and that's for straight people, gay people, trans people, whatever. I hate that. It just, it makes my flesh crawl. You know, as long as you're not abusing children or animals, we are supposed to be sexual. That is, we breathe air, we eat food, we sleep, we fuck. That's it. Get the fuck over it, religion, you know, religion, people, whatever, Christians, Catholics. That's what we do. And guess what? You're fucking doing it as well behind closed doors if you're not telling people. And you're probably doing worse things because all of these, this, you know, keeping stuff down leads to it coming up someplace else that's even more unhealthy. And so I, I kind of, I think the bigger message of my show is we're sexual beings, all of us. And, you know, we all deserve pleasure. You deserve pleasure as a sexual person and, you know, consensual pleasure, of course. But, you know, 
that's your God-given right. And we'll, we can leave God out of it. I'm just yeah. using that for the phrase, but that is your, that is your basic human right, you know? And, and so you should be allowed to be yourself as a sexual being, gay, straight, tr bi, trans, whatever you are, you know, it, it, it should be open and it should not be taboo. And whatever you're into, that's cool. That's okay. And, and, and you're not dirty and you're not disgusting and you're not shameful and all of those things. And I think that's the bigger message. So if I could, if I could help people get behind that, that, oh, it's okay. I'm not dirty because I'm gay. I'm not dirty because I want sex and I'm 15 years old. I'm not disgusting because I'm promiscuous. That fucking word, I hate it. Mm -hmm. Because it just, it, 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 it denigrates women. So it, you know, judgment, judgment about. Yeah, judgment. So if you're pr pr being promiscuous is bad. But I mean, men, men can do what they like. Again, you know, the different standard for men. But, and I always said that, you know, if I was a 24 year old boy who had said, I like, uh, you know, I like having sex every day. That wouldn't even be a news story. But the fact that a 24-year-old girl in 1997 comes out and says that, yeah, you know, and, and really everything I'm saying now was exactly what I was saying then. But this poor young girl got, you know, her pathway got thwarted by her culture, her family, and this tabloid journalist. And, and, and you know, and then I guess the whole, it's sort of, it, I, you know, I fell into a black hole for a very long time, you know, jokes, bulimia, all kind of things. And then, and then sort of making my way back to now where I'm older at 48 and I'm able to go, if you don't like what I'm doing, fuck you, you know, what I'm doing is great and who I am is great. And I love myself and I love you too, for whatever your thing is too. You know, we don't have to judge each other. We don't have to, you know, shame each other for our sexuality. You know, it, everything is, is cool as long as it's not babies and animals, you know? That's right. <laughs> well, wow. Well, I think this is a, this is a good place to, to, uh, to, to end. Oh, it's been fantastic. Yeah. And so, you know, there's so much more other stuff that we, we didn't talk about, but you know, you, we, we can be here all day. <laughs> have you back. Yes. But I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to wind us up and then pause us and then we'll talk after. Okay. Um, but thank You're you. going to have to do a lot of editing probably. Uh, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. I'd loved it. But thank you, Emma, for doing great. this. Great. Fantastic. My pleasure. It was great. It was fun. Thank you. And that was the magnificent Emma Pine, a great friend of mine, and we had a really wonderful time. And there was a lot of stuff that we never even got to, but that's just one excuse to have her back on the show sometime soon. I hope you all enjoyed it. Next week, we'll have another bright light to be determined. I want to wish you all well, and... Thanks so much for supporting the show. I really appreciate that very, very much. You have no idea. It means the world. See you on the other side. Wishing you well. Take good care and take care of everybody else in your life. Bye-bye for now.